exactly what we're doing. Or... <laughs> Let's start that again. <laughs> that sounded wrong. I don't need to know that. That's right. No, I'm just fresh back from the honeymoon. We went down to the Bahamas, uh, hung out on uh, Nassau Island, just chilling out. I heard you got into a little bit of a bad area over there. Yeah, well, it, it, it didn't look like a bad area. There wasn't really anything on the tourists' brochure about it, um, probably for good reason. But we knew <laughs> it was a bad area. We stopped there. Um, well, we stopped a few times. We had rented this scooter. We were kind of cruising around the island because the taxis are a little pricey. So we just thought, well, you know, for like 85 bucks, basically, we can have a scooter for the day. Why not just take it and, you know, cruise around and see what we see and sort of make our own adventure, if you will. And, um, you know, the North Shore is great. The West Shore is great. The South Shore was great. Um, and then we sort of headed inland a little bit. And uh, the people started, you know, we, we, at one point we went to turn around to stop at this place for lunch. And some foreign diplomacy car was there or something. It was some official car. I can't remember what exactly it was. And the woman rolled her window down and she said, hey, are you guys lost? No, no, not really. We're just going you know, to turn around to go grab lunch. She's like, you should really just stay on this, this, this main road and just go all the way back through to town and get out of this neighborhood. Uh, you don't really belong here. But we still stopped for lunch because that's what I do, right? Um, I, I want to go where everyone else isn't going. Those are the pictures everyone else isn't getting. That's the culture that I want to see. Um, but apparently we were white and we weren't supposed to be there. And there were a number of people we pulled over. There's one point where we pulled in somewhere to turn around or stop. And I was checking on my GPS to see exactly where we were. And two people in succession pulled up to us and were like, hey, you guys shouldn't be here. You know, you can just turn right around and go right back out the main highway way blah 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 um so we ended up you know getting out of there um and making it back to the coast uh and it was fine it was it was actually pretty cool i thought it was pretty interesting so we got sort of a an inner look at the non-tourist part of the island that's kind of the guts of the island if you will mm. uh, so that was really cool that was neat um yeah so it was kind of the the tour that nobody sees yeah, and, really. Uh, I actually experienced that in Detroit once. We're at a baseball tournament many, many <laughs> years ago. And we we're driving through this town. It didn't look very bad. And we got pulled over by a cop. And we th first thought, oh, no, what were, 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 were we not wearing our seatbelts? I don't know what was going on. He pulls up to the window. He looks in. He says, what are you doing here? And we just, you know, said we're driving to the baseball field, whatever, whatever. He said, you should not be in this area. You need to right. get out now. And, you, and at you, that point, you just, you know, you follow the cop out of the area and you just go on your way. Right. You look far too geeky. And I think part of it was just we we obviously looked like tourists. We're on this rented scooter. You know, <laughs> we're just like, I'm pale as can be. I obviously don't belong on an island. Um, and, you know, we're looking around at like, hey, look at that, taking pictures of stuff. And it's just like, hey, come and rob us. You know, come steal from us. We can't bring guns or anything into the country, so we obviously can't defend ourselves. We've got money and we've got electronics. Come steal it from us. Mm -hmm. Just looking at so, you on camera, it's blinding me. <laughs> yeah, well, my my arms are a little darker, but it's mainly because they're like lobster red. But I mean, it, it was an amazing time. I mean, the great seafood lobster is pretty cheap down there, um, and the lobster are huge. I mean, they're the, the the warm water lobster, I guess, but they're like two feet, two and a half feet long. The biggest lobster I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so they were massive. Um, you know, we had like whole fish, we had conch. Um, we had a bunch of different stuff. It was really interesting. And the water obviously is, you know, that turquoise, oh, it's gorgeous. blue, green. Um, and it was, you know, between 65 and 85 the entire time. I preferred a little closer to the 65, um, but it was really more like 80 with, you know, the 
the baking sun beating down on you um, and humidity. Uh, a guy tried to sell me Coke. Uh, he's like, <laughs> he's like, you know, rubbing his nose. And I turn around and look at him. He keeps yelling at me. Oh, but I don't, oh you mean I, you don't mean the soft drink? Oh, not the soft drink. Oh, no. the other Coke. No. Mm. Yeah, he, he wanted me to hop on that Red Can Express. Uh, <laughs> But he's, he's rubbing his nose and, you know, me, like, nerdy, geeky, you know, like, oh, what's this fellow, you know, want? And he's rubbing his nose. I'm like, what? You, what? And he's like, come here. So I think he's going to rob me. So I'm thinking I'm not going to stand my ground here. I'm going to run toward him, you know, to at least take the fight to him a little bit. So I go over and he's, like, leaned over his car. So I go over and he's like, hey, you want some uh, want some Coke? I'm like, nah, I think I'm all right. <laughs> I would have just looked at him and yeah, yeah, I need a nice refreshing drink right now. What do you got? I think Coke I'm Zero. Good. <laughs> yeah, what's what's the cost? Um, so you're married yeah. now. Yeah, married. You're married. So, yeah, I got married last Friday. Today's Saturday. We're a little late this week because of all of the everything. How dare it was you? Good. The wedding was good. The honeymoon <laughs> was good. It was just you know it was brief. It was just four days, but I was ready to get back. I didn't even check my email once while we were down there, so I totally disconnected. Impressive. Um, very occasionally I would text, but roaming roaming charges for the Bahamas. It was nineteen ninety five per megabyte. Oh, so and nowadays just, you can't do anything that's under a megabyte. Exactly. Even so a text sort of message like is like 17 the, megabytes. The Not phone really. is going on airplane mode, and we did actually come across a Starbucks in the jungle, uh, so we used <laughs> the Wi-Fi there, but the Wi-Fi was terrible. Of I, course. You could, it took you know five minutes to post an Instagram post, and refreshing your Facebook feed was just, you know what, all right, let's just let's worry about this when we get back home. So, yeah, I didn't really do much of any of that, but it was it was cool. It was just very laid back and very um, first time in the entire time that I've I've had Tutvid that I've really taken a vacation since 2006. Wow. So it's at nine years. Um, so I'll see how I'll see what it does for business. I mean, I already feel like I'm chomping at the bit to get back going. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if I explode, you know, with a bunch of like work and everything then I think you know, it's gonna be something I have to do every year. Um, just, you know just to disconnect and really, you know, provide more creative and hopefully more, uh, more stuff, just more generally stuff. Yeah. It's good so. to get away for a while. And in, in a lot of cases it does explode your creativity. At least I hope it does. Right. Yeah. So that's the hope. So yeah, I mean, that's, and then, and then I guess the, the last, I mean, there's so many different stories and things, but one of the more interesting thing, interesting things that did happen, uh, we saw a guy get arrested basically right in front of us for trying to rob a tourist. Uh, that was more downtown right off the cruise ships. Um, and yesterday, this would be Friday, Friday morning. So it's Saturday right now that we're recording. But Friday morning, our flight left early afternoon. So Friday morning, we went downtown just one last time, check out this pirate museum. And we jump on a bus. They've got all these little buses down there. They're called Jitneys. And uh, our, the bus is totally empty. And we tell the driver where we want to go. And he says, all right, you know, it's $1.50. So we give him the $1.50. He says, all right, just give me one minute. And uh, no joke, I'm sitting there. He rolls up a little piece of paper, sticks it up his nose, and snorts a line of Coke right off the back of his wrist. Oh, my God. And then he's like, all right, ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> so he's sort of like, well, this is going to be an interesting uh, – this will be an interesting bus ride. Oh, I bet it was. Yeah, so it was you know just honking and veering in and out of traffic, and I'm just like, ay, ay, ay. And who knows so, what he was seeing? He wasn't seeing cards. He was seeing like Super Mario go-karts e or something. Exactly, right. So he was having fun, and we were just kind of hanging <laughs> on in the back of the bus. But it was cool. So, yeah. But, I mean, while I was away, I mean, so much happened, right? I mean, I did sort of see when I logged on to Facebook the Apple launch event. Was that Monday or Tuesday? That was Monday. Yeah, by the Monday. way, if you're just joining us. Or if you're wondering what's going on, this is the We Geeks podcast. We didn't even introduce ourselves. This is episode number five. Big episode milestone number five. Number five. That's right. Episode We've number made five. It, and we're going strong. Um, strong. And as always, it is sponsored by 
Squarespace.com. Good folks over at Squarespace. Make our website possible, the WeGeeksPodcast.com. Very easy to use. Super simple to set up. Hook up your domain name for eight bucks a month. And if you purchase a whole year in advance, you get a free domain name to hook that up. They have amazing templates. And as we discussed previously, they're all mobile responsive. And as of, I believe, April 21st, somewhere around there, Google is going to be ranking mobile websites higher than, or sorry, mobile optimized websites higher than all the other websites, the non-mobile optimized websites. So you definitely want to get on that. And if you want to save 10% at Squarespace, use the coupon code WEGEEKS, W-E-G-E-E-K-S, if you needed to spell that. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing I can really add to it. Squarespace is awesome. That's it. it I mean, is. you got to just check it out. There's a seven-day trial you can sign up for. You don't need to put a credit card number in. Just give it a whirl. If you hate it, throw it away. No obligation, no harm, no foul. If you love it, get it. It's cheap. It's easy. Um, and it's even easy if you have like a little sort of annoying client who you just want to sort of get out of the way and be like, look, here, I can, I'll just build you a stupid little website. I'll have it done. It'll be easy for you to work on. I'll put it together for, you know, a thousand bucks, set them up with Squarespace, walk them through how to use it, help them pick a layout and, you know, build the website and build the graphics and everything. And vavoom, you know, let it go and just let them know, here's what the, the upkeep cost is every year. Basically, when we have to re-up your Squarespace that it's, you know, 150 bucks or whatever. I mean, you set your price. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, Squarespace, there's nothing I can really say about it. It's great. I really like it. I've used it on a number of sites um, and it's really good. Totally. But, yeah. And also with some exciting news, we actually hit our, we got our second Patreon supporter over at patreon.com slash we geeks. And this is actually a $25 patron and it's uh, from Valdis. I might have pronounced that wrong, but we kind of went back and forth. I felt so bad. I kept calling him Vladis in the messages when we were talking. And he's, he finally was, he was like, uh, it's actually Valdis. So, so thank you, Valdis, for becoming, I think I'm pronouncing that right, our first $25 patron. Uh, and his website is, it's a, actually a deviant art. It's Camis1232, K-A-M-I-S, 1232.deviantart.com. So definitely go check him out. And if you do want to help support our show, patreon.com slash we geeks. So, yeah. And, and, and also I'll add to that. One of the other best ways to support the show is just by sharing it as well. That's true. Yeah. The Share it on the, Facebook. The bigger the audience, Twitter. the better things will be, the longer we'll be able to keep uh, running at this thing. And hopefully we'll just kind of keep it going forever. But yeah. So go ahead, Howard. What were we going to say? Yeah. So, on Monday, Apple had this big event, which we all thought it was just going to be about the watch because it was titled Spring Forward. And it was there was a lot going on at this event, and a lot of it is very controversial. So one of the first big things that they announced was the new MacBook, which, according to Tim Cook, it's like completely new. It's reinventing the MacBook and reinventing the laptop and this sort of thing. So there's a few things to take note about this thing. It's a 12-inch It kind of looks like the MacBook Air, but thinner, if you can believe a computer can be thinner than a MacBook Air. It's incredibly thin. It comes in silver, space gray, and gold, kind of like the iPads. But the weird thing is, it has one port, and it's a USB-C port, which actually Apple apparently helped invent that new port. And everything can be driven through that port, which a lot of people are very upset about, because they're saying you can't edit videos because you can't plug things in. You can't plug in external hard drives. You can't plug in external monitors. But I think people are kind of missing the point and they're jumping the gun because this type of computer, and I have mixed feelings about it, but this type of computer is geared at people 
who are on the go, need something very light. They're not really concerned about hooking up a monitor or a hard drive or this. Everything's in the cloud now. So it's not for somebody who's editing videos or playing games or needs these extra peripherals. And you can't get an $80 adapter that can hook up three, I believe it's a USB 3, another USB-C, and something else. But it's definitely not for people who need peripherals. Now, that being said, it's not a very powerful computer. The processor is not bad. It's like one point some odd gigahertz, which turbo powers to something faster or something. Yeah, right. something like, like 2. that. Seven or two point nine. Yeah, the camera is only four hundred and eighty p. It's a four eighty p camera, which is not very good at all. Apparently, they no. couldn't squeeze it in there, even though they can squeeze it in an iPod Touch. But here's the thing that kind of sways me the other way. It's a computer that's geared at people who are looking for portability and very basic usage. Email, uh, typing things, word processing, that's the word. Right. <laughs> but but at the same time, they're selling it for $1,300. So that's the kind of thing that's, you know, get, get it, I'm on the fence about because if you're marketing a computer for very, very basic use, you don't sell it for $1,300. You sell it for under $1,000, kind of like the new Chrome Pixel. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like an iPad with a USB-C port. Um, exactly, and a keyboard. But, but at twice the price. Yeah, but you can yeah. get a keyboard for an iPad for you pretty can. inexpensive. You know, like those Bluetooth keyboards, yep. and they're they're pretty reliable. And you'd have a better front-facing camera um, on that your iPad, right? Probably. Is, it's it? a, it's it might be about the same, but yeah, it's, the front-facing yeah. cameras all kind of stink on the Apple devices anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I uh, the with the new MacBook um, – I saw like is isn't isn't there a new is it a new app MacBook Air as well or was it only the MacBook they introduced? I couldn't tell when I was looking through the product information. Um, but to touch on your point about the USB C before we get too far from that, um, those of you who don't know the USB C. Uh, really, the operative letter there in USB is the universal because Apple's really you know they're it, hopefully hopefully. And hopefully all of the electronics manufacturers will start doing this, is trying to make stuff a little bit more universal. You know, we have HDMI, we have USB 2, USB 3, uh, we have our mini display port, HDMI, DVI, uh, what is it, AVC or something like that. No, AVC is a manufacturer. Uh, AVI or something like that. Mm. Uh, we have all of these different display and connectivity ports, uh, plus your charger. The USB-C carries power with it. Uh, that's really important because your USB-C port can also plug – your charger would plug right into the same port. And interesting to note, like the Chromebook Pixel like you mentioned just a moment ago, that has two USB-C ports, one on either side. So really let's say you're way over on the end of your desk. You can really charge your laptop from either side, which is kind of a cool little you know, Easter egg if you will. Yeah, to interrupt you for one second on the, on the topic of charging, what's mm. kind of disappointing to me is with the USB-C, even though it does – double as a charger, it's not MagSafe. And Apple yes. computers, one of the my favorite features is the MagSafe charger. So if you trip over the cord, which I have done so many times, yep. the thing, it just pops out and your yep. computer doesn't get drag, dragged across the room. Some people are saying, you know, physicists and scientists are studying this thing because they don't have their hands on it. They're saying that this USB-C port will not simply pop out like a magnet. It'll just it may in fact drag your your thirteen hundred dollar MacBook across the room. So that that'll right. be interesting to see. 
Yeah, so uh, that would that would be something maybe they'd have to work on. But but it is interesting to note that maybe you could at some point have a universal charger for virtually all of your electronics potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the thought is that you could buy a dongle for this one USB C port and power HDMI through it, your mini display, kind of everything would go through this USB-C port. It transmits a massive amount of data. I mean, you could you could run a RAID drive off of this. You could run a 4K monitor out of a USB-C port. It's pushing, I think it's like 10 gigabits per second. It's some ridiculously high amount of data. It's a very, very fast uh, USB uh, adapter. So that kind of stuff is great, plus, it goes in either way, so you don't. You know, how you yes. always stick the USB in <laughs> the wrong way. The USB-C no longer. Although maybe we'll still find a way to stick it in the wrong way <laughs> the first time. So all that's cool, and I think I, I have to think that the greater vision is that eventually you'll have devices, laptops, uh, where basically you have just the sides of the laptop are almost lined with these USB-C ports, right? So instead of I know there's only one in this MacBook uh, right now, but Apple's gotta have plans coming out with a computer. Computer that has maybe five, six, you know, when you don't have to have, okay, here's our USB, there's an HDMI port, there's a mini display port, there's all these other ports, when you can just focus on one port, you can have a lot more of them, and then, you know, you, it, it's powered, so you can, you know, throw a dongle onto that, and, you know, p- potentially power stuff through that, now, it's not, I don't think it's quite enough power um, that you'd want to really be running a lot of stuff out of, you know, all of your USB-C ports, um, but when it comes to hooking up a lot of different stuff, I think that, the solution people are concerned about uh, the video editing and connecting a lot of external hard drives and things like that. I think their mind should be put to ease a little bit. Maybe not specifically with this computer. This computer, maybe not so much. But in the future, when more of these USB-C ports are added, um, I definitely, definitely think it has to be something that Apple has in mind. And even Chromebook, for that matter, and maybe all the other computer manufacturers as they come on board with the USB-C uh, specification. I think so. And I wonder what the vision is or what the future holds. Will we see like a MacBook Pro, like the high-end 15-inch Retina display MacBook Pro go to a single USB-C port or multiple USB-C ports? And if they do that, then we have to either get adapters, like let's say HDMI to USB-C or brand new cables HDMI to USB-C. So a lot of people think it's going to... I think it's going to be the adapter. I mean, look, Apple loves selling you adapters. Oh, I hate I, it. I, honestly, I, yeah, I honestly think that's where it's. I, I I think that's where it's going to go, at least for a transition period until they do mm. create those, like you're saying, H, HDMI natively, boom, right to USB C. And I know it's like eighty bucks a pop, right? Like boom, eighty bucks for an adapter, <laughs> sixty bucks for an adapter. You know, every adapter you have to buy, it's just it's a it, it hurts. It is a pain, and I think for the time being, they're going to keep their pro computers the way they are because they did update the MacBook Pros with higher, uh, faster processors at the event. They kind of touched on it, but everything else changed about it. I think they're going to wait until they can squeeze all that power into a computer that size or the size of the MacBook, the new one, yeah. until they f- uh, mess with the ports. So I guess the question I have is, so the new MacBook, I haven't watched the Apple event uh, the new MacBook that they announced is closer if you had to relate it to something to a MacBook Air than a replacement for the current MacBook Pro, correct? Correct, yeah. It's definitely not a very fast computer. It's for super basic use. They still have the MacBook Air, and they did update the MacBook Air with faster processors and all that jazz. Um, so I think those are very different computers. But I, I, I do see at one point in the future, they'll probably just merge them together, which is it's kind of weird because the MacBook the new MacBook is actually thinner than the MacBook Air. You would think it would be the other way around, right? 
Right, yeah, this is sort of like MacBook Mobile or something. So on top of that, they did, like you said, they upgraded uh, the MacBook and or the MacBook Pro series. I saw that the processor's up; it like starts at 16 gigs of RAM. Yeah, um, I don't, I didn't, I didn't go through like the checkout process and see if you could go higher than that. But I thought that wasn't that as high as you could go before with 16 gigs of RAM and a MacBook Pro uh, or something like that, if I recall correctly. I think it might be 32 now. Okay, okay. Well, so yeah, so there, there's that. But one of the things I thought was cool was this new Force Touch trackpad, mm. uh, which was kind of neat. It, it looks like they're just doing away with the, the concept of a right-click altogether, which Apple's always, I think, been on the fence about that, right, with the command clicking, um, and they've had the one-click mouse for quite some time now. Uh, but other than that, the Force Touch trackpad is the idea that really you're not going to raise your finger and tap the the trackpad at all it's just going to be a matter of coasting around with your finger when you want to press something you just press with your finger a little bit and boom it's going to press whatever it is um in fact i did see a little video of like a game or something they were doing where the harder the guy was pressing with his finger the faster the character in the game would run right so it's kind of neat and it's sort of like you know we 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 sort of take for granted the pressure uh, that we have you know, with our Wacom tablets, right? I mean, you've got, it's really the, the premise that the Wacom tablet's working on, but mm. you still do have a tap with Wacom. But yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, here's the interest. First of all, from what I've heard from people who have actually used this force click or force touch or whatever it's called, the track new trackpad, it actually feels like a, the, the old trackpad. It feels like you're actually clicking and pressing down, but the trackpad's not actually moving. It's just kind of vibrating underneath it. It's giving you feedback that it's going to be a click. And you can still right-click with two fingers, just like you can now, because it has multi-touch and all that jazz. But what's, what I'm really excited about is the technology behind it. It's coming to the Apple Watch, which we'll touch on in a second, but there's rumors that it's coming to the iPhone and probably the iPad. And like you're mentioned, like you're mentioning, it's very similar to Wacom's technology, which means we may finally see an iPad that you can use an actual stylus on, which is super exciting. Yeah, I mean, that could be groundbreaking for a lot of if we have an iPad that can handle high resolution photography, it can almost be like a Cintiq type tablet in your hand. Yes, your- and we and there have been rumors that Apple's going to release like an iPad Pro, which either runs OS 10 or some sort of combination of OS 10 and iOS. Combine that with this Force Touch thing with an actual pointy stylus, and I think I don't you know I don't want to speak for Wacom, but I would be quite freaked out if that happened. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 interesting to say the least. And there was also a USB Now subscription. You had mentioned something to me about oh, an HBO Now or HBO. So, sorry. So HBO. there's been rumors, and HBO kind of confirmed it that they're going to come out with a standalone subscription. So you can you don't have to have a cable subscription like many people don't nowadays, and you can watch games like uh, sorry shows like uh, Game of Thrones live basically, and you just have to pay X amount per month, and you get just HBO Go and you're not getting 100 other channels that you really don't care about from Comcast or whatever. And HBO, the president or somebody came on stage and confirmed it, but was really interesting other than the price of $15 a month, which is very affordable if you just want that station or channel. It's going to be exclusive to the Apple TV or it's going to be Apple exclusive for three months. Now, a lot of people are thinking it's exclusive forever on Apple, but only for three months. And if you have an Apple TV, you can sign up, I believe, starting next month before Game of Thrones comes out. For 15 bucks a month, you get all of HBO shows. And uh, it's, I think it's a very interesting model. I think you're going to, I think we spoke about this in the past. We're going to see a lot of other cable or once cable 
channels move over to the standalone product. And maybe Apple is slowly going to start pulling these other companies in as they see that HBO is starting to uh, profit off this or become successful. Yeah, we'd sort of mentioned about this, not not just to do with HBO, but with a lot of different networks back. I think it was episode three was that we were talking about net neutrality and kind of some right. of the ramifications of that. We had we had spent some time talking about this. Is it something you think you would spring for at 15 bucks a month? I will eventually. Right now I have DirecTV, which is actually fantastic compared to the other companies. And I do have HBO for, I think, three months. Gotcha. And then I have to pay for it out of pocket. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose I would because I don't really watch too much cable. I do have cable mainly for specific channels. Right. But if I can get rid of that and then just jump on board and get HBO for 15 bucks a month, maybe CBS for five bucks a month or whatever what, it might what's, be. What's the Canadian network? Because we know you got to have some Canadian network there that you're going to I actually don't for. watch any Canadian. <laughs> I watch a lot of hockey, but that's, that's, uh, that just runs that's American now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, yeah. So that that's definitely interesting. It's something I guess to keep the eye on. But then the Apple Watch, I mean, that was sort of like the darling of the show, right? And before we jump into the Apple Watch, I just have to reiterate again. Isn't it interesting how it seems like this term wearables is going to be one of the early like uh, hit or or chic phrases of 2015, you know, wearables, wearables, wearables. I'm seeing it everywhere. Um, but isn't it interesting how despite the fact that there's been this marketplace and even kind of the rumors for a while and people sort of know what's coming, when Apple comes out and, and puts on this big show and this big event, boom. I mean there are blog posts from here to Wazoo uh, about the Apple Watch and and then we can touch upon the $10,000 Apple Watch and all that stuff. It's crazy the market and and like viral value that a company like Apple has um, despite the fact that I would argue there's a lot more negativity surrounding the company with the, the absence of Steve Jobs but still you're getting every blogger and his mother to write an article about the Apple watch and thoughts about the Apple watch and why I'm not going to get the Apple watch or why I'm going to get the Apple watch, why the Apple watch is going to change everything or why it's going to be totally irrelevant. And it's just, I mean, talk about the, the gamut from just complete fanboying over the Apple watch to completely hating it and thinking it's the worst thing ever. You, you find everything and almost everybody's talking about it. So I just find that fascinating that Apple has that sway still. Yeah, and it seems like very few people are in the middle. There are very few people who say, yeah, I don't really care. Right. There are either people who absolutely love what Apple does or people who absolutely hate what Apple does, and they will pick on the little tiny things or even big things and just run with it. Like my yeah. Twitter feed on Monday and Tuesday were filled with people who, I don't know if they were just not informed properly or they were just saying these things just because they can hate on Apple, but they were making it seem, and maybe they were convinced this was the truth, that Apple was only releasing a $10,000 watch and nothing cheaper. And, you know, there, like you said, there are blogs upon blogs upon blogs. My grandmother's writing a blog about the Apple watch. Um, not, not really. She's not, she's dead, but, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Everyone's writing a blog about the Apple watch, but, but, and but it, she might be, that's how I mean, far reaching this be. is, right? I mean, that's, that's the and, craziness of it. Yeah. And looking at the other side of things recently, I think I mentioned this on the last episode, another company released a smartwatch. I forget the company's name, Hiwoo or Hi something like that. It's an Android wear watch. Exactly. It's, it starts at a thousand dollars. Nobody said a word. Apple comes out with a watch that starts at 349 and everyone's losing their mind that it's expensive and no one's going to buy this crap and this, that, and the other thing. Um, 
Yeah. You know what's funny? Uh, up until sort of looking into the press release and seeing all the hubbub about it, I was very pretty firmly set in my ways that, you know, I don't think I would ever get one of these. It's not really for me. But after looking at it, I mean, at 349 it's cheaper than the iPod was when it came out. It's cheaper than the iPad was when it came out. It's cheaper than the iPhone was when it came out. Obviously, it's cheaper than any of their laptops have ever been. So for a new product that's being released, it's actually very well priced, which is not something that normally one would praise Apple for. Apple has the stigma, at least, of being like, wow, it's always expensive product, right? Um, but not only that, it sort of has swayed me to thinking, maybe I will give one of these a run. You know what I mean? If for nothing else, just to say I did and to check right. it out. And because, you know, like I mentioned earlier with the whole wearables thing, it seems like it's going to become in some way, shape, or form a relatively relevant thing in culture. Well, it's interesting because there's a few ways to look at this. First of all, let's talk about price for a second. When Apple says 349 that's obviously the starting point. Mm -hmm. And that's for the smaller watch. I believe it's like 30 two or 38 millimeters. I should probably look this up, but whatever. Right. It's for the smaller one. So for you and me who are men and have larger arms, we're probably going to get the 42 millimeter watch. I have which, dainty arms. Well, well, <laughs> bigger than most arms, I would say. Um, so the one that we're probably going to buy is going to be 399. So it's going to be 400 bucks, which still isn't too bad. The one that I wanted before we actually knew about all the prices is actually $1,000. It's the stainless steel with the the stainless steel band. That's right. the one I wanted. But now that I know it's $1,000, not a chance I'm going to be purchasing that one because it's one of those technologies like we've spoken about previously that I just want to buy to try. Whether I like it or not, I don't know. But what's really interesting is you have all these other smartwatches, which are some of them are definitely cheaper than $349. But when you look at developer activity behind them all, you don't see very much excitement. But the Apple Watch was announced, and even before it's even released, it's not even available for pre-order yet, we're seeing a ton of developers jumping on board, previewing their, watch, their apps for the Apple Watch, showing what the future is going to hold, and that's what's making me exciting excited. I'm seeing all these things, like I'm starting to put the picture together in my mind what I'll be doing with this Apple Watch on a daily basis. You know, right now I don't have my phone on me because I left it somewhere else. I don't have it on me all the time. And especially when I'm working out, I don't want to put an iPhone 5 or sorry, an iPhone 6 Plus in my pocket while I'm running. I just want to have my Apple Watch on me, go for a run, come back, open the garage door with my Apple Watch, you know, turn the lights on maybe. And we're starting to see developers coming out with these apps already yeah. that will be able to do all these things, which is really exciting. And you're not seeing, or at least I don't see it, but I'm not seeing all of this excitement from Android developers. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think it goes back to just the brand power of Apple. Um, to your point about just the wearable tech in general, what I started thinking about it, and it, it sort of came to a head in my mind, you know, as I'm looking into the Apple Watch stuff, and as I'm seriously thinking about it, um, I think about how many times during the day you pick up your phone just to check the time, or just to check that last text message, or maybe to send off a quick reply, or maybe to um, 
maybe to, you know, check on an Instagram notification or something like that. Do you know what I mean? All of this is stuff where you're no longer going to have to reach down into your, your, your purse or your pocket or wherever and pull your phone out and say, oh, what's going on? You know, you sit there and bam, it's right on your wrist. You can just check whatever it is, swipe it off your list. You know, even something as simple as I use my to-do list and my reminders app so much in my phone. When I get home, remind me to do X. You know, when I leave home, remind me to do X. At 7 o'clock, remind me to do this. Having that right there on my wrist is going to be useful to say. Well, you know what's really interesting, and I didn't even really think about this until you started talking about that. But I'm I'm at a lot of meetings, a lot sometimes with very important clients, whether it's a dinner meeting or just in a boardroom with a bunch of people. I don't have my phone out in the open. I don't I don't just leave it on the desk because a lot of people view that as rude. But if I'm sitting there with an Apple watch and I hear a very, or a feel a very light vibration that I get a notification, I can kind of just glance down at my watch nonchalantly, see what the notification's about. If it's important, then I can excuse myself, but it really does stop me from pulling out my phone, which I guess I, I would agree with that. It's very rude, especially in meetings with very important people. So that's something that I'm pretty interested about or very excited yeah, and, about. And, and because we don't really wear wristwatches anymore, yeah, like, you know, it's that whole, is it going to be rude to wear an Apple Watch on a date or keep it on the table? You know what I mean? It's sort of like <laughs> taking your phone out and putting it on the table is super rude or whatever. Um, but how else do you check the time? You know what I mean? Right. So having something like that, I mean, there are definitely going to be things like that that are going to be interesting and uh, as, as kind of dumb as it sounds almost. It's just going to be good. Um, so I don't know. I'll be interested to see. I, I think it, I, I have a deep feeling in my heart that it's going to be the kind of thing that if you don't have one, it's going to be easy to stand back and say, uh, why would you ever consider it? But if you get one, you're not going to be able to live without it. I think it's very much going to be like the iPad where it's going to take a long time to break you away from you know, using or having you – know, like before you had an iPad, I was like, eh. Life without an iPad is not so bad. And you get an iPad and it's, wow, life without an iPad would be difficult. Yeah, when the iPad was first released, I was working for Apple and I told myself, I probably don't need one of these things. What's the point? But I'm going to buy one just to feel it out, see what happens. And very quickly, I found myself pretty much replacing my laptop with this iPad because it did a lot of the things that I would have to do on the couch or, you know, in bed. And after a while, it's like, yeah, I can't really live without this because it does solve a lot of problems, which is something that a lot of people are saying the Apple Watch doesn't do. It doesn't solve problems. And at the moment, I don't think it does. But I think as we start using it, as more apps become available, as it starts integrating with other things around the house or other services, I think it will start to solve some problems. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it it would, right off the bat, it would solve the problem of Excuse me. Checking time without having to take your phone out of your pocket. Um, mm-hmm. Is that a problem that's worth three hundred fifty dollars? No, <laughs> it's not. Probably it's, not. Absolutely, it's not. But the 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 point is, you can't look at it and say um, it's not going to solve any problems or there's no potential to do that. And in fact, um, I was reading an article about the ten thousand dollar you know douchebag detector watch or whatever, <laughs> whatever people are calling it, and this person was just railing on Apple for creating this ten thousand dollar watch and why would you ever do this? Blah 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 blah. Uh, it makes me not want to buy an Apple Watch, and I'm sitting there so thinking. Don't buy one. I'm sitting there thinking it's not. If if this is going to make you not buy an Apple Watch, you probably weren't going to buy one without it. You've just found a convenient right. excuse, you know. Like just stop. You know, if somebody wants to buy a a, a, a million dollar Ferrari or, or Lamborghini that's painted in gold, let them buy it. You know, I mean, yeah. at one point, this person in the article they're like, I don't know of anyone who would buy this ten thousand dollar watch. 
I don't know of anyone who would buy a million dollar car, but people do. People, you, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And my wife made a funny YouTube video where she basically went off on people complaining about this $10,000 watch, saying it's stupid and no one's going to buy it. First of all, having worked for Apple, people are going to buy this like crazy because they can. And you know what? If they want to buy a $10,000 watch, I think it's stupid. You think it's stupid. Buy the $10,000 watch. Who cares? It's not going to affect my life. It's not going to affect your life. If they they know it's the exact same watch, it's just covered in 18 karat gold. Yeah. I mean, let them buy it. Let them be happy. Let them be a douche. People drop 15 grand on a bottle of champagne, and that's far more fleeting <laughs> exactly. than a $10,000 watch. A $10,000 watch will at least give you six months to a year of like relevant, cutting edge technological prowess. The champagne, it's here tonight, and you've got a headache tomorrow morning. You know? Yeah, really. So, yeah, I, I don't get all the complaining, but it, it, it looks cool. I mean, it's it's definitely kind of neat, um, and it, it's totally a status thing, but so is a Rolex, so let it oh, go. Oh, totally, exactly. Yeah. Actually, in that video that my wife created, she highlighted a few watches that actually have sold for more than a million dollars. So there are people that buy million-dollar watches. Why? I don't know, but it's none of my business. They have money. And, you know, let them live their lives. I'll live my life with my $400 Apple Watch. Right. And for those of you that are interested, Howard's wife's YouTube channel, it's Little Panda Express. Is that correct, Howard? That's it. Go check little, her out. Subscribe little, and all that fun stuff. Yeah, Michelle's cool. Yeah. So moving on, we have a little bit of YouTube news. And you'll explain this first one because I haven't really looked into it. YouTube now allows 360-degree uploads. What does that mean? Uh, well, I mean, I haven't looked into it that much, uh, but right off the uh, at the face of it all, it's definitely YouTube stepping into the virtual reality foray. Uh, it's that's essentially what it's geared for, and they have a a video that got uploaded. I think it was March eleventh or twelfth that is supposed to sort of showcase this. 3D and 360 degree video capability. You can only really watch it on, or properly watch it, I should say, on an Android device or through the Chrome browser. I tried watching it on my iPhone 6 in the Chrome browser on YouTube in the Chrome browser, and it <laughs> looks it looks like a misplaced 360 degree video. It looks very bizarre. You can tell what's going on, but you can also tell I should be wearing a headset or something to really experience this. Then if you watch it, I, I then pulled it up on my computer, my desktop, and watched it, and it looks totally different. It's cropped. You don't see everything. It looks kind of weird. Um, you can tell it's supposed to be very three-dimensional. Um, so it's, it's – I don't know. It's just an interesting thing uh, if nothing else because we've talked about virtual reality stuff before. We've talked about the Oculus, um, the Oculus Rift I should say, and it's, it's YouTube sort of acknowledging that. And when YouTube acknowledges something in the video space, it's at least worth noting. Yeah, I don't have very many thoughts on this because I haven't done 360-degree videos. I haven't uh, really experienced any of them. I don't have virtual reality gear. But the fact that YouTube's jumping on this and saying, you know, this stuff is going to be popular at some point in the future. And even if a few people use it, as long as that technology is available, because they do right now, they do support 3D video. Very few people use it, but it's there if someone does use it. So it's kind of a convenience. Right. And something you can, if it doesn't go anywhere, shut it down. But you know, it, it's there. It's definitely interesting. And if it's something that it sounds like you're into, by all means, take a look at it. But piggy piggybacking off of that there is this thing that you and i talked briefly about howard at the faa and uh, is it like they're almost sending people cease and desist orders uh, not quite um but almost sending people cease and desist type orders who post drone videos of different things on youtube 
Yeah, this came completely out of the blue because a lot of people post videos that were taken with their drones, whether it be the DJI, I think, or JDI D drone. DJI. Whatever it is, I don't know. Digi. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the FAA came out of the blue and basically released a statement saying, if you upload drone videos to YouTube, we could potentially fine you and have those videos removed, which is very interesting, again, because it came out of the blue. But what they're saying is because you upload these videos to YouTube and because there are ads before the videos, you're technically producing a commercialized video about air craft technology or something weird like that, which is not regulated. Right. So because you're profiting off this unregulated stuff, they assume that, or they're, they're saying, you know, we're, we're going to take it down and we're going to file a complaint with YouTube and we could potentially find you. And a lot of these YouTube channels who are making a lot of money and a lot of having a lot of views on these videos are having their videos taken down and they're, they're, they're sorry, they're, uh, receiving statements from the FAA. Yeah, it's very weird because I know that here in Pennsylvania, where I'm recording from, the FAA maybe two weeks ago finally released their regulations and stipulations for drone. I don't think it was federal. I don't think it was countrywide. I think it was just for mm. PA, but it was relatively lax. It was basically they want you to go get registered. It's an online registration type thing. Um, you know, there's some simple rules. You can't fly above a certain height. You can't like the max speed is like 100 miles an hour, which is insanely fast. Right? Oh, it is, yeah. I mean, that's crazy fast for a drone. You never have to worry about going that fast, not right now at least. Um, and the all of the rules and regulations were much, much less stringent and strict than I expected. Um, you know, and, and they have they, they don't fly over groups of people, don't fly over people in general, other than the operator, something like that. Um, so a lot of kind of like very common sensey type stuff that people you know people need to be told what is common sense. But you know, a, a lot of that kind of stuff that's kind of like, well, yeah, duh. Um, so I don't know, I mean, I don't know how that works if it's something where somebody is shooting, you know, shots of Philadelphia or something and they're, how can the FAA tell that you were flying, uh, you know, in a place that you were allowed to be flying following all of the regulations that you were supposed to follow? Are they still allowed to go and say, hey, take that video down? It seems to me that like there's got to be a class action lawsuit or something that these people can file, file against the, the FAA and say, you're stepping way, way over where you're supposed to be stepping. Um, but I don't know. I don't know exactly the argument the FAA is presenting. Like like you said, it's just very convoluted sounding. It seems very weird. It is, and I'm not sure what to make of it. I don't shoot drone videos, but I do know people who do shoot these videos, and they're kind of freaked out because it's not like you know a random company coming up to you and saying, listen, I don't want this video on YouTube. It's a federal agency, the FAA, releasing this statement saying- Screw them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And- um, you know, the, the other question is, if you just take the ads down or you just don't monetize those videos, can you get away with it? And people, there really aren't any answers around this. So hopefully the FAA clears this up and if, really if, lets if, us know what it means. And you know what? And if that's the case, won't that expose the FAA as a bunch of money grubbing frauds? You know what I mean? Because oh, at that point, it goes from being something where you're concerned about potentially safety and the safety and sanctity, if you will, of airspace to just, if you're making money off of it, we want to cut too. And it's of like, course. eh, come on. So, yeah, so that was just an interesting, interesting little story. But 
something that has to do with photos, not necessarily drone photography, Creative Live, creativelive.com, for those of you that don't know who they are, basically they put on these big live webinars. They're free, and if you miss them, you have to buy them after the fact. But a lot of amazing instructors they have go through there. Um, a photographer named Chase Jarvis originally started it a few years ago, um, and it's since kind of taken off and received all kinds of crazy investment money and really just blown up into this big company. They... Uh, they just did this thing for Photoshop's, I guess for Photoshop's 25th anniversary, where they had eight different Photoshop experts try out and use Photoshop 1.0. A lot of these people who had used Photoshop 1.0 before. And just, hey, take a photo in there and modify it and edit it in different ways. Um, and it's really pretty funny to watch them kind of struggle with this. And whoa, there are no layers. There's no. <laughs> there's just an undo and a redo. Uh, at yep. one point, somebody opened up levels, and they're adjusting levels and saying it's not making any changes. What's going on here? And then they remembered, oh yeah, in Photoshop 1.0, there was no live preview at all. There was a preview button. So you would make a change, hit the preview button, make another change, hit the preview button, and keep doing that until you got what you wanted. There was no masking. Um, it was just, uh, you know, one of the guys, Matt Kleskowski, who is one of the original Photoshop guys over with uh, Scott Kelby, he does this thing where he tries to composite this girl into this other photo. And it, it actually isn't that bad, but it's horrendous at the same time. It's not bad because you know he's using Photoshop 1.0 and he's got no layers and, and he has nothing, essentially. Um, so in terms of that, it's not that bad, um, but it's it's also horrible as well. And by the way, oh, was, no, not, yeah. not to interrupt you, but I'll interrupt you for a second. Howard and I are going to be posting a blog post on our site with all the links to the stuff we're talking about uh, so you guys can check out the articles and things that we're referencing and mentioning, mentioning uh, in the podcast. So you'll be able to go see this video uh, if you check out the blog post over at tutvid.com. Yeah, and if you are listening over at SoundCloud or iTunes or Stitcher or whatever it might be, all the notes will be on the in the description as well. But going back to this Photoshop thing, it was absolutely hilarious. And I remember back in the day when I was in high school using an older version of Photoshop, I believe it was Photoshop 2.5, still before they had layers, but not as ancient as 1.0. Yeah, Grandpa Howard using Photoshop 2.0. Look out. Back in my day. Yeah, it was it was very strange not having any sort of layers. Obviously back in the back in back in the day, that was just the norm. But looking back at it from what we have now, it's amazing how far Photoshop has come. And we take these little things for granted, like live preview and layers and all these little things that we didn't have back when we were editing photos, you know, when we we're just starting out. It's, if you haven't checked this video, you have to check it out. And you can even see how professional photography editors are struggling with this thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that was, that was a cool video. And then I also – there was just an interesting article uh, earlier this week on Petapixel about I, – I didn't know what to think about the article. It was just sort of – I didn't know whether or not it was juvenile or interesting. I think it was a little bit of both. Um, but it's an article entitled, titled Post-Processing Trends in Wedding Photography. And they sort of go through – they have a, a single photograph and they're sort of going through and showing you, I don't know, 10 or 12 different ways people edit the photo. Um, and here's where the immaturity in, in, in myself comes out. There was maybe one, maybe, maybe two edits that were reasonably okay. The rest were pretty horrific um, and just sort of you know went down this list of all these different um, styles. And, and it, it was kind of interesting and funny at the same time because – you've seen all the styles. 
you've seen all these different looks from different people on Facebook and and even friends and things like that, uh, from the horrible selective color to the very washed out black and white. And I'm a sucker for a good washed Oof. out black and white. I'm a, I'm, the HDR is oh just, yeah, the HDR oh, is ooh. is is a difficult one. That's a diff, that's a hard one to look at. It basically um, looks like Instagram. Yeah, and there there there's some really bad ones. There's some where it's just very very poor, uh, like Lomo Lomography uh, style stuff. Uh, but just kind of a cool little uh, interesting article to check out that has to do with Photoshop and post production. It is interesting, and I did see something similar not too long ago where they grab graphic designers from all these different countries around the world, Canada, Indonesia, India, Bangladesh, if that's a country, I don't know, um, United States, and they basically gave them the same photo and said, edit this photo. And you're looking through this list, and you may have seen this, and you're thinking yep. to yourself, did they, did they grab 12-year-olds to do these edits? Because they're definitely not professional editors, and if they are professional editors, then there's a severe lack of professional editors in some of these countries. But I really don't think these are editors that would actually edit photos for a living. They're probably just people who claim their graphic designer on their LinkedIn profile. They contacted them and said, edit this photo for us because some of them were just god awful. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know what you're you're referencing. It was something that's sort of like, look at how universal beauty is. We asked these 25 retouchers yeah. to make this girl look beautiful and yeah. – I don't even think there was a single one I, taking away from whether or not the girl was beautiful, but just from a technical retouching standpoint, terrible work. Oh, it was, <laughs> it was terrible. terrible. Even work. from, I remember very distinctly, there was one from Canada, which having been born and raised in Canada, we have a lot of very good designers and photo retouchers. And this one was just one of the worst. It was just terrible. Yeah. Yep. So moving on to question and answer, and again, every single week we're going to be giving away a $25 gift card, iTunes if you're in the United States, or Amazon if you're anywhere in the world. Um, and so make sure to submit your questions using the hashtag WeGeeks on Twitter, or you can do it on Facebook on either one of our Facebook pages. And Or if you're a, if you're a patron, we'll definitely put you ahead of the game. So Valdis from Patreon, our brand new $25 patron, he says, my question would be about websites like Dribble. That's D-R-I-B-B-B-L-E. It's certainly a popular place to get motivation and get inspiration from, but is it worth getting an invitation? I mean, it's an exclusive place, but what would be those potential benefits of getting an invitation and where would you start if you decide it's something you really want? So I'm going to start this one because I'm on Dribble. I've used Dribble quite extensively. And the short answer is an invitation is free if you know somebody who has invited. I believe you have to have a pro account in order to give invitations. But if you have a friend who can offer you an invitation, might as well take it. It's a free thing. You can start posting your stuff. But from personal experience, there are a lot of people who do comment and like on photos and like on the designs that you create. A lot of that is very constructive criticism because it is a very exclusive website and, and do, paid for for a large part of the community yes yes so if you do you know if some if something in your design is just not feeling right maybe if the colors aren't you you're not going to really get people who just say oh this sucks you should never do something like this again go die you're going to get people say you know what i would suggest going with a little bit of a darker blue or add some shading or lose a drop shadow and it will help you improve your designs but if you're looking for work, first of all, it's a great place to build up a portfolio. But another aspect of websites like Dribbble is that there is 
kind of like a marketplace where companies like Apple and Google and a lot of big companies can directly contact artists on Dribbble and say, listen, I saw your work. You make great stuff. Do you want to do one or two projects for us? Or do you want to come work for us full time? And I do know quite a few people who have landed full time jobs specifically from their Dribbble profile. Yeah, I mean Dribble. Yeah, like you said, it's it's free to get in if you can get the invitation, and it's a a great gallery style marketplace full of a lot of artists who are willing to help. And I think in large part because you have this contingent of people who are paying for it, and they sort of police it very well. And you'll get honest criticism, but you'll get real constructive criticism. Like you said, none of the oh you you're horrible. You know, take this design and burn it. Uh, anything like that. So and, and and that's good for maybe a young designer as well. Um, you do want to refine sort of your skills probably outside of the dribble uh, website. But uh, it's it's uh, once you you're sort of you feel you're starting to feel very confident in your work and you're like yeah I'm getting there sign up and start posting stuff I would say you know you don't want to sign up and post a bunch of dreck um, but you know take some of your best stuff and post it and get real honest criticism from people that are willing to give it and I think it's worth noting that the better your work is probably the more people you're going to get who are going to be willing to critique it um, if you post something that's obviously terrible. Um, people aren't really going to take the time to write an expose on why your logo choice is terrible, the shape is terrible, the colors, the colors are horrible, and the type is way off. You know, it's just like everything needs to be blown apart and restarted. Yeah, and here's a fun fact: if you do get an invite to Dribble, the first post that you post or first design that you post to Dribble, make sure it's absolutely unbelievable because on Dribble's Explore page, they have a section specifically for brand new people on Dribble. So when you post something, your first post is likely to be your most uh, most viewed post, at least at the beginning. So people will see that post. So you want it to be something amazing that people will look at. People will you'll give comments on and you obviously want to get people following you. So if they see that first post and it's not very good, chances are not, they're not going to follow you and never see any of your stuff. So make sure if you do get an invite, post something amazing to start with. Yeah. It's good to make a good first impression and to build a, a decent following or I guess not a decent following, but at least a decent reputation in a, a quality environment and community like dribble when it comes to front-end design and things like that, just because there are a lot of valuable designers, if nothing else, there that it's good to be associated with. You never know who's going to say, look, I can't take that job, but I there's this amazing designer that I know of who I've seen his work, and he does great stuff. And then you have some designer email you out of the blue and say, hey, I've got this job. Would you be willing to take it? And then, you know, jobs just, you know, come in that way. And then, like you said, Howard, about the marketplace and having larger companies watch. And, you know, how do you know Facebook won't call you and say, hey, you know what? I know a guy who worked at a design agency here in Philly, got a call from Facebook. They'd seen his stuff online. They said, hey, come move out to San Francisco. And he's, you know, now a top designer out in Facebook, you know, leading up the, you know, the UI design team. Um, so, you know, you never know when that kind of stuff will happen. I mean, it happens. You need to make sure you're creating great, good quality work, get critique, get honest critique, you know, sit there when you're being sort of beaten with the critique and take it and learn from it. 
And, uh, you know, don't make excuses for yourself. Just, you know, take it. All right, this is what they see. I'm going to try to adjust. It's very difficult in the moment because we all get sort of emotionally attached to our artwork or anything we create. I understand that. Um, but the more you can sort of detach yourself from it, the better and, and faster you'll become a better designer. So a place like Dribble, I think absolutely uh, is a great place to try to get into if you can get into it. Um, and, and, and if you do, like Howard said, put up good work and consistently put up good work. Don't just put up one good thing followed by six bad things. Remember, your portfolio in any medium is only as strong as the weakest piece because any client that's going to potentially hire you could be the next worst photograph or piece of artwork in your portfolio. So put up the best of the best. If you have six good pieces of whatever, put those up. You don't need to put up 35 things right away. Put up, you know, three amazing logos rather than a dozen eh logos. Yeah. And don't be afraid to put up your thought processes as well. Dribble has an interesting feature called rebound. So if you do put up a piece of work and you do get some pretty good constructive criticism, you can actually rebound a you know, one of the future edits or future revisions to that original post. And if someone does come by, you know, Facebook's browsing your page, they can kind of see, okay, well, he started with this, he moved to this and moved to this based on the criticism. And now he's at this amazing final piece of work. So, and I do know a lot of companies that really focus on the thought process and the journey that yep. you've gone through to get to the final piece. So don't be afraid, even though it may seem like it's, I don't know, crap, don't be afraid to post it up and just say, this is a work in progress and I'm going to eventually get to the final piece. But if you can, if you do have a lot of really strong pieces, definitely put those, those up as well. And Dribble also allows you to post stuff to download as well, correct? Yes, you can do that. Yeah. So a lot of great things about Dribble. So should you sign up? I feel like it's pretty consensus. Yeah, if you can get in, do it. Next question is from Dale from Facebook, I believe he posted this over at facebook.com slash iceflowstudios. And he says, with resolutions getting better and better, are there touch-up techniques you feel are nearing obsolescence? Now, I'm not exactly sure what he means, but I, I believe the answer would probably be no. Um, thinking back to when I first started, and you can probably answer this a little bit more clearly because you do a lot more retouching than I do. But thinking back to when I first started retouching I use a lot of the same techniques. Maybe now that Photoshop is actually advancing and there's things like the spot healing brush tool and the patch tool with content aware, I'm not using the clone stamp as much, but that's, I wouldn't say really dependent on the resolution. Yeah. Yeah. That's mostly just Photoshop getting better and better with their technology. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to resolution, it's more about file output rather than exactly how you're retouching uh, when you're actually working with the file. Here's what I think large resolution has changed. The size of the camera you need to shoot, the size or, or the, the importance of vector uh, when it comes to graphics creation, um, the, the idea, you know, when you're working with retina graphics, the way you export retina graphics and how they're different than just a normal standard bitmap image. Uh, things like that, I think resolutions getting better and better and better have changed. Uh, but I don't know that you would even consider rendering anything um, and anything obsolete necessarily. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I no, I don't. I don't think there's anything that have been obsolete. I mean, I do know there's a makeup artist one time that told me that 
HD television was a makeup artist's worst nightmare because they needed to apply more makeup and more perfectly because you can see all of that detail. Um, so from a photographer or a graphic designer standpoint, it's not makeup, but rather fidelity of high-resolution pixel. So your, your camera that can shoot at 25 megapixels, it better look good at 100%. You know, never now more than ever, I should say, it's important that we have full-frame cameras and you know these medium-format cameras that can produce very, very sharp images. That you create graphics vectors so they can be scaled up and made larger. Things like icon fonts. This is the stuff that the higher resolution is changing uh, more than specific touch-up techniques. I would say, um, you know, whether or not you sharpen using a frequency separation, sharpening the the detail and not the color, or whether or not you just go with an unsharp mask. Um, in Photoshop, you can really go with either one, um, but when it comes to the, the quality of the file, you know, garbage in, it's going to be garbage when you take it out, but if you put a high quality file into Photoshop, you work with it well, don't overdo it, and then export a high quality file on the back end, um, that's going to be how you work with these higher resolutions. Yeah, and I found that working with higher resolution photos actually allows me to work even more efficiently because you can zoom in and see all those details. You're not working with some tiny pixelated photo. So in a way, I guess higher resolution photos are definitely making our jobs a little bit easier. And with the advancements of Photoshop and other technology, I think it's just, I don't know, I think it's just amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So with that, I guess we'll wrap it up, right? So that We will wrap it up, and I think think the $25 gift card, throw it over to Dale. Yeah, we could throw it to Dale. Yeah, yeah good. Dale, if you're watching this, make sure to get in contact me with me either through facebook.com slash iceflowstudios where you submitted it, or you can tweet at me at iceflowstudios, and we'll be sure to get you that gift card, either iTunes or Amazon, iTunes only if you're in the US. And if you do want to submit a question, if you're listening, make sure to submit it with hashtag WeGeeks uh, over at Twitter or Facebook, either of our Facebook Google pages, Plus, whatever, or wherever. Yeah, at Tutvid for me, at Ice send a pigeon, at, at Ice Flow Studios for Howard. Yeah, send whatever you want. Um, we'll get the question, and you always, if you're the best question of the week, have an opportunity to win a twenty-five dollar iTunes or Amazon gift card. If you're out of the country, we've gone over that before. Um, yeah. So with that, Howard, I know you're in a rush to get out of here and get to dinner. Uh, your your mom's flown in from Toronto. Where are you guys going? Probably a barbecue place. Bar- Craving some ribs. Or some ribs. Rib ribs always yeah. hit the spot. Good ribs always hit the oh, spot. Yeah. So that's that, that sounds like that'll be good. So and I'm cool. sure you and you and the wife. You now have a wife. Yeah. I'm sure you guys are uh, planning something or yeah. Something. Well, yeah, we'll figure it out as the evening goes on. Of course, it's it's later here than it is, or it's later oh, for me true. than it is for you. I'm holding you back. <laughs> no, it's all good. This stuff is important too. Um, so yeah, cool, man. We'll have fun tonight, and uh, don't do anything I wouldn't do. I'll try not to. And again, thank you so much to Valdis from Patreon, our first $25 patron over at patreon.com slash, I keep slurring. I swear I'm not drunk. Patreon.com slash WeGeeks. You can tip us $1, $5, $25 per month, and you get rewards like shout outs in our podcasts or other things that we'll probably do in the future. And it helps us continue these podcasts, give away these gift cards, Again, a big congratulations to Dale, who won this week's $25 gift card. Make sure to follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. Everything. Iceflowstudios.com, tutvid.com, at Iceflowstudios, all the places. Follow us on all the things. All the places. Yep. And we will see you all. Well, we're not going to see you. You'll hear us. You'll hear us next next time. 
All right. See you guys. Thanks.